Well, good morning again, everyone. Thanks. <laughs> so, <clears throat> if you all have been following along with this these last several weeks, you know, um, last week we actually wrapped up our sermon series on uh, the armor of God, you know, working our way through Ephesians chapter 6 and um, really talking about you know, really getting down to the nuts and bolts of how do we engage in battle? You know, how, how do we do battle in the spirit? And one of the main themes that Mike really um, drilled down on that I want us to keep in mind for this next sermon series is this, this idea that everything in the visible and the physical starts in the invisible and the spiritual. That's very true, and, and, and that is going to be just as important to keep in mind as we transition into this next series. And as Mike and I were just kind of talking about, you know, the things that kind of came out of the last series and kind of what do we have in mind for this next series, we, we thought that the next step in our progression, as what we're kind of talking about, would be this idea that Jesus came to establish this kingdom of heaven on the earth. And what is, well, not only what does that look like, but what's our role in the expansion of that kingdom on the earth? And one of the questions that came to my mind that I kind of wanted to pose to you guys, that that's not a rhetorical question. Um, doesn't mean you need to raise your hand, but, but, but it, it's a question that I think is really important for us as believers to really ponder and really think about as we're, especially as we're kind of working through our salvation, as we're trying to figure out kind of, you know, why are we here? You know, whether you're sitting here on Sunday or you're sitting in your living room watching, um, why are we even believers? Why, why are we Christians? Why, why have we decided to follow Jesus and, 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 and lean into the scriptures and, and believe what we believe is, is that very question, why? Why Jesus? Why Christianity? You know, is it, is it love? You know, is it because as a Christian, I'm a better husband and a better son and a better boss and a better um, friend, and I'm, a, I'm able to love my community better with Jesus than without Jesus? Is it for justice? Is it because the, the, the rules and the decrees that God set up from the beginning of time are the best rules and decrees to follow for, for order and for prosperity and for peace? Maybe, it, maybe it's peace. You know, maybe it's, you know, by walking with Jesus, that's the best way to, to have peace in our lives. And when I say peace, you know, it's, it's interpersonal peace, but it's also internal peace. Maybe it's purpose. You know, God created us all with a purpose, and if we want to know why we're here, what, what, what our destiny on the earth is, it's, it's you know, we, we have to draw close to our creator to tap into what our purpose and mission is here on the earth. But regardless of what your reason is, maybe it's one of those reasons, maybe it's, it's outside of those reasons, there's, there's tons of reasons, but regardless of what your why is, you know, Jesus' big focus point is that we all come together in unity. And, we're the, and, and, and regardless of what your why is and why you're here and why you're following Jesus and why you're a Christian, we find unity in that all of those things have their roots in the kingdom of God. All of those things originate in God's kingdom that he has set up 
in the invisible and the spiritual, and we draw our strength from that. So, this, so today I'm just going to really give me kind of giving a, a, a ten thousand foot view of the kingdom of God. You know, kind of you know, w- you know, what does it kind of look like? What did Jesus say about it? Just, just to kind of give us an, you know some some context and what the kingdom of God is. So then, the coming weeks, as we're talking more about it, you have some context for it. So I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer, and we can just go ahead and dive in. So Jesus, we just thank you that you are King Jesus that you are sitting on your throne right now, ruling and reigning, and we thank you for that. And Holy Spirit, I, I put my trust in you, that you will convey the message that you've given me, that you will teach, that you will open our eyes to new truth. And Lord, we just thank you that you're here to make us free, and that you're here to draw us closer to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So on, in, on the level of context, so if you, if you were to go back and you were to, to read through the Old Testament and read through the history of the nation of Israel and, and the Jewish people, you would see this cycle of, you know, really the, the, na- the, the Jewish nation operating under this one promise, this one covenant. And that promise is God saying, okay, here's my rules, here's my commandments. You, you do what I told you to do, and we're going to be fine. You're going to be protected. You're going to be prosperous. You're, you're going to have pros- prosperity. It's a harder word than you think. Um, you're you're going to be taken care of. You're going to be fine. And so what you'll see is you'll see, you know, a generation or two is, is following hard after the Lord, and they're, and they're being obedient, and and then, and then all of a sudden they begin to kind of waver and be disobedient and be rebellious, and then and God has to walk away from them. And then all of a sudden you, you start hearing these stories of, of neighboring tribes and nations who begin to come and take over Israel and take advantage of them and steal from them and do war with them. And then you have the generation that comes back to the Lord and repents and, and puts on the sackcloth and ashes. And, and that's when you get the stories from like Gideon and you get the stories um, of King David, these people that God has risen up you know, as a result of the people's repentance to deliver them from these people. And then you have another couple generations that are obedient again and things are good. And then, and, and so if, if, you put, you know, if, if, if you put the Old Testament on a line graph, it would look kind of like that. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the cycle you would see in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel until you get to a point in history when they get taken over by the empire of Babylon. And that's where you get, like, if you like, the, like the story of Daniel. Like that, that's when that Daniel's happening. Daniel's taken into the, the empire of Babylon. And, and, and Jerusalem is destroyed, and Solomon's temple is destroyed. And Babylon's actually been taken over by Persia. And then you get in the story of Jeremiah where they're, 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 they're taken out of Persia and they, they rebuild the temple and they rebuild Jerusalem. And then they're taken over again by Rome. And so you just have this history of constantly being overtaken by people and being relieved and being overtaken by people and being relieved. And you can imagine as a, as a people group that that's got to be so tiresome. That's got to be so difficult. And so what you see as you read, you know, the books of, of Isaiah and, and Daniel and Micah, all these prophets that lived during these times of this, of this turmoil, 
you see these prophecies and these promises that even though these people are, are, are really facing the consequences of their own decisions, God is still kind to them and merciful to them in the midst of that and is telling them, like, look, I know things are bad now, but they're going to be better. I know things are hard now, but I've got a plan. And you see how God has given them these whispers and these rumors of one day a Messiah is going to come and he's going to make things right between us. And there's not going to be this, I'm right with God, and now I'm not right with God, and I'm right with God again, and I'm no longer right with God. He's going to come, and he's going to make things right across the board forever and always. He's going to make you clean, and he's going to make you just, and he's going to make you righteous. He's not just going to be a Messiah. He's also going to be a king, and he's going to sit on the throne of David forever, there's not going to be an end to his rule. There's no longer going to be an enemy territory that's going to come and take you over. He's going to be the king on the throne of David forever. And Isaiah even says that his rule will, ha- will, have, will have an everlasting increase. His, the increase of his rule will be never-ending. His, his territory and his kingdom will expand forever. And so throughout the Old Testament, you have these introductions of this, this kingship, of that, that God is going to be king at some point in some ambiguous future. One day, one day this is going to happen. And the people of Israel could cling to that and could hold on to that for hope and for strength. Then one day, during Roman rule, this 30-year-old carpenter's son starts showing up in the synagogues and begins teaching. And his teachings are actually very simple. And they're, and, and they're simply this. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's not someday. It's not out there ambiguously in some unknown future. The kingdom of heaven is near. And you know the funny thing about it, if you look at the Greek for the word near, the, the Greek word for near is near. It's near. It's, it's, it's right there close by. It's with us. And so that same man who's teaching that the kingdom of heaven is no longer far off and someday, but it's near, is also asked, how do you pray? And so he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and I'm sure most of you know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In, in, in the, the template prayer of when you don't know what to pray, just pray this. He says, pray that his kingdom would come because when his kingdom comes, his will is done on earth. You are literally making earth look like heaven when his kingdom comes. And that's so important that whenever you pray that your very basic and essential needs are met, you should also pray for the kingdom to come. He then goes on to gather disciples, and most of his teachings center around what does the kingdom look like? What does this kingdom that is invisible and spiritual look like in the world? And most of those teachings are are in direct opposition to how the world operates. You have the kingdom, you have the teachings like, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom. It's not blessed are the independent, or blessed are the strong, or or blessed um, are the successful. Blessed are the vulnerable and the weak. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Not blessed are the popular, or, 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 or blessed are the influential. Blessed are you when you stand alone because you are standing for what is right and what you believe in. There's stories like when the disciples were asked to pay the temple tax. He didn't go and ask for funds. He didn't dig into his coin purse. He told him to go fishing because sometimes you're left with two options and you really need a third. And so the kingdom gives you the third option even when the world says it's impossible. So they go fishing and they find a coin in the fish's mouth and they pay the temple tax with the coin from the fish's mouth. He would also say things like, if you love your life, you'll lose it. Illustrating that contrary to popular belief, if you live in fear and self-centered and, in, and constantly in self-preservation mode, you could almost clench your life so tightly it actually drips through your fingers. He teaches that you, if someone strikes you on the cheek, you should turn the other and give them, let them strike that one too. And if the, your neighbor asks for forgiveness, you should forgive him seven times, 77 times. Illustrating that mercy is greater than sacrifice. And that mercy is the most valuable currency in the kingdom. He also talked about judgment and how you could see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but be careful because if you succumb to judgment, you can't remove it because you've got this plank in your own. And that even though all these other, you, you may see all these other sins compared to every other sin Judgment is a plank, and every other sin is a speck, because judgment impedes our ability to love. And then finally, his greatest lesson about the kingdom is that death actually leads to life. By dying on a cross for our sins, he himself was resurrected in three days, and we all got eternal life out of it. And before he ascended into heaven, well, actually, he ascended into heaven, and, he w- and we were left with this mandate to go and spread the gospel and go and spread the kingdom. Because one day, he's going to come back and establish his kingdom on the earth, and he is going to make what is now spiritual and invisible, physical and visible all over the world, for all eternity. So what do we do with all that? <laughs> what, do we do, what do we do with all that? That's a lot. What do we do with this kingdom that's invisible and spiritual? But it's also why we're all here. We've, we've, we've bought into this kingdom at some level, or else we wouldn't be here right now. Why are we all here? Let's, let's go look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul, Paul talks about some things that I think um, he, he expands on some of the things that Jesus was talking about and, and puts them in, in a, some really good ways. 
So let's look in, so we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 7. And in verse 7, Paul goes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So, that, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So what Paul's pretty much illustrating is, so the kingdom is still near. So Jesus, his, so Jesus' you know, first preachings on the earth were that repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom is still near to those who don't know the kingdom. But for us, the kingdom is here. For Project Re3, for us in this building, we, we know Jesus, we have put our faith in him, we have been initiated into the faith. And so what I'm telling you all is the kingdom is not near, the kingdom is here. Because what Paul is saying is God, <coughs> God has put this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure, the priceless, most valuable treasure being the kingdom, being his spirit, is inside us. And we are the jars of clay. Because to put his power on full display, he has put his spirit, he has put his kingdom in something fragile and vulnerable and weak so that it wouldn't be our power that's on display, it would be his. And he goes on to, to illustrate that point because he says in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side. We can be anxious, we can be stressed, we can have mounting expectations and pressures from all points. But we're never crushed. We can be perplexed. We may be confused about what's happening around us. We may even have doubts about what's going on. But we're never in despair. We may be persecuted. We, we may be alienated by our families. We may stand alone at work. Our friends may have left us because of what we believe and what we stand for, but we are never abandoned. And we may actually get struck down, but we can never be destroyed. And, we, and even though we carry the death of Jesus with us all the time, it actually abounds in us to bring us more and more life. That is the kingdom and God's power on display in us. And the most important thing, because the kingdom is on display in us, like Jesus is going to do one day when he comes to the earth and he makes everything established in the earth, in the meantime, our mandate is 
no matter where we are, whether we're here in church, whether we're at the grocery store, whether we're at home, whether we're at work, we have the ability to take what is invisible and spiritual, and we can and do make it physical and visible. We make the kingdom physical and visible wherever we are. That is our mandate, to make the invisible kingdom visible and physical everywhere we're at until Jesus comes and finishes the job. Let's skip on down to verse 16. Paul picks up again. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I'm going to read that again, because I actually have no commentary for that. I think that's one of those verses that speaks for itself. I'm going to read that one more time. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What's your why? Because your why is what's going to tap you into the eternal. It's, gonna, it's, it's what Jesus is going to use to tap you into the eternal. And once you're tapped into the eternal unseen, it's now our job to make the unseen visible to everyone else through our lives. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. In Matthew chapter 13, there's this long discourse by Jesus where he, he shares parable after parable after parable, and they're all parables about the kingdom of heaven. And if you look at all the parables that Jesus gives in his ministry, there's really only two parables that he actually just flat out comes and gives the meanings to those parables. One is the parable of the sower, and the other is the parable of the net, or of the weeds, I'm sorry. And both of these parables are in Matthew chapter 13, which must give some significance to their importance. So in the coming weeks, we're going to be going through Matthew 13, and we're going to be looking at each of these parables and talking about their significance and what principles about the kingdom of heaven do they portray, and how do we make these invisible principles visible in our lives for other people to see them. Because again, our job is to take what is invisible and spiritual in us and make it visible and physical to the world. And so we're going to be talking about the parable of the sower and how there's, there's, an, there's, an, there's an evangelistic aspect of that and how we, we share the gospel to people. 
But there's also a personal aspect that, because in the parable of the sower, there's, there's the seed that falls on good soil, the seed that falls in the path that has no root, and there's the seed that gets choked by the thorns. And how do we make sure that we're not the seed that has no root or gets choked by the thorns? There's the parable of the weeds and the net, and how one day when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a judgment. And we are all going to stand before a perfectly just and morally right God and, to, and, and answer an account for everything we did and said. Now, the beautiful thing is the gospel of Jesus says that Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to defend us and Jesus is going to speak on our behalf, but the judgment's still going to happen. And what does that mean? There's the parable of the mustard seed and leaven and how on earth one plus one equals two, but in the, in the kingdom, one plus one equals a thousand and how we shouldn't be shameful at small beginnings and how quantities really don't mean much in heaven, no matter what you're talking about. And then there's the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl and how Jesus is always talking about if you ask, it will be given. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. That Jesus and God powerfully endorse and value pursuit. Sincere, authentic pursuit. And what does that look like in the kingdom and how is that rewarded? So uh, I know Mike and I are very excited about the series we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. And, um, and our prayer for, for us and for everyone is that we'll just have a rising and greater awareness of the kingdom of heaven in our midst. And that we would just have a growing sense of empowerment at our ability to make the kingdom known to everyone that we're around. Because that is our mandate, and that's needed as much now as ever before. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you did not leave us empty-handed, but that you have put the best of yourself inside of us. You have put your spirit, your heart, the essence of your kingdom inside of us jars of clay, fragile, vulnerable people so that your power could be on full display through us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are working out our salvation inside of us and that you are giving us eyes to see the unseen and ears to understand the, un the, the, the things that the world don't understand. Help us to articulate the invisible and the spiritual so that the physical and the temporary can grasp a hold of it. Help us, give us a greater awareness to feel in our gut, in our spirit, the things that the mind can't understand. And to help us know that whatever happens in the world, we have hold of something eternal and never changing. And we welcome and we, and we appreciate the peace and the comfort that comes from that. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.